0: Everyone could see how well I just did this whole intro for myself here in the basement and then discovered that I had not been recording. It <laughs> feels like a pretty typical Eve mistake, uh, but it's embarrassing and frustrating nonetheless. So, hello, hi, welcome to Everything's Relative. I'm Eve Sturgis and I want to talk about what happens when you find out that you're not who you thought you were. Happens to people more frequently than you might think. Uh, Growing availability of DNA and technology and communication is sort of blowing up families around the world as secrets are uncovered. I found out that my biological father was not the man who raised me because the real guy contacted me on Facebook, for example. So I'm feeling pretty good. Uh, Current podcasting mistakes notwithstanding. (laughs) What's going on around here? Leaves are changing. Halloween is kind of controversial because of COVID-19. Children are distance learning from their kitchen tables across the country. Uh, I don't know what else is going on. I mean, this isn't true. I do know that there is more going on globally and personally, but um, I don't know that I have the the chutzpah to get into it right now. <laughs> um, and I know that you're here to listen to NPE stories. So... Uh, Also, I had a lot of coffee today, but I still sound tired. Uh, I got up really early because I was going to record this episode, uh, but then I ended up not being able to record it because it was a very active car alarm morning here in Glassell Park, Los Angeles. It was lovely. Um, So instead, I just basked in the sound of car alarms triggering other car alarms instead of doing anything I was supposed to do and I drank more coffee. But in the meantime, so here we are, episode 11. Um, So I'll talk about what we're actually going to listen to. So Edward Daganji is the author of a book. It's called The Gift Best Given. It is a wonderful memoir about his own journey of discovery as he researched his own adoption and his biological mother, who turned out to be uh, an exciting character who lived a sweet and adventurous life. So Ed and I talked a few weeks ago also early in the morning thankfully there were no car alarms that day um it was really fun and here's what i want to talk about uh and about why edward de is important and within the npe paradigm so off the bat he's not an npe he knew he was adopted so that that part is not the surprise for ed um But Ed, it's still important because he represents to me a few things. One is that Ed comes from the generation of adoptees who were told nothing about their adoptions. They weren't even told they were adopted often. Um, They had nothing about their stories. And that's such an old school way of doing it. Um, But I'm absolutely positive that it still happens. I'm sure it still happens in this country and around the world. Um, And so this... um, this, it's like an old story, but it's—I'm sure—it's a current story. Um, so the other thing is that he—he—he he, he, he discovers, kind of um, later in life, this interest and insatiable need to know his history and navigate his family tree, which is what happens to so many people. Um, when, or like, that's what, ha- that's what people are doing when NPE events happen. People get this interest in their history and their family tree. And all of a sudden, misattributed parentage comes out and family secrets and scandal and families come undone. So he represents people not only who are adopted, but also people who are just interested in their roots. And they go down these rabbit holes to figure out where they came from. Uh, I've said this before about myself, but I wasn't super interested in my own life, my own roots for myself. Um, But Edward tells a story that makes me understand how exciting a project like this could be. He had me on the edge of my seat, like more than once. Um, And so, yeah. So as you know, if you listen to season one, I talked with Aaron in Louisville, a um, he's an archivist works for libraries. And he talked about what he sees all day working in a place where people like Edward come looking for records of their family and they, he helps them sort through um, data to understand who they are and what it all means. So Edward offers a perspective from his his side, like the other side of that experience. Um, and I have to say, he really roped me in. Uh, I will let you experience it for yourself. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Ed as much as I enjoyed having it. This is episode 11, season two of Everything's Relative. I am Eve Sturgis. So, so, um... So why don't you, like, um, walk me through a little bit of the, of the process for yourself. Um, you, you knew you were adopted, but you weren't, as far as I understand it, you were not especially interested in, in your uh, origin story. Um, but tell me, so tell me about that and, and how that changed and how this book came to be.
1: Well, you know, I, I had, I guess, the idyllic life. We lived in a suburb outside of Manhattan in New York City uh lived a very good life, and I just you know even from the time that I understood that I was adopted i I suppose there was part of me that didn't want to rock the boat mm-hmm. but the the greater part of me said it doesn't matter, you know, my parents were very loving, very supportive, there was little that I wanted yeah you know, that i that I needed that I didn't have mm-hmm. And, you know, so I just, I just sort of muddled along periodically. I would, I would have the thought about, you know, I, I wonder who my mother is. I never gave a second thought to who my father was.
0: <laughs> but, it- you know, and, I,
1: and I had the, the occasional thought that, well, she, you know, she, I, I think I may have said this in my email to you. Yeah. You know, she was some school girl who stayed out too late one night and came back and found out she was pregnant. Right. And I, I just, that was my image. And that it was just somebody who from there, yeah, you know, went on with her life as I had gone on with mine. And uh, at about the age of, as I approached my 70th birthday, and I'm 72, so I guess it was a little bit before then, uh, we had my wife's mother and father who had lived in New Jersey come down here to North Carolina because they were in compromised health. Mm -hmm. And over a a fairly short period of time, we lost them both. Mm. And we were up in New Jersey incurring my father-in-law's remains. And the day before we went to the cemetery there, we went to another cemetery, which is where the, uh, my adoptive mother's family by and large were were buried and it just brought back some old memories so it started to spur some curiosity on my part and i had also just read a book by daniel Mendelssohn. right and it's it's called the lost the search of six of six million mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful book and i would recommend it to anybody And it talks about his search for six relatives who who perished during the Holocaust, Mm -hmm. all that he went through. And I just was so envious of his ability to go and travel as he did to trace down the people who may have known them, and to go back to the village where he came from. And it sort of tickled my interest. So when we came back from the, uh, from the services that we had in New Jersey, I went to our local library and my first thought was, well, let me go and I'll investigate my adoptive mother's uh, heredity.
0: It mm-hmm.
1: didn't last a whole long time because as I realized what was now available online, I said, this is a chance to take a quick look and you know find out what my story is, what my true story is. Right, and uh, you know, I was I was adopted at birth. I was taken home at the age of a day. One day. Wow, or on. wow. I born mean, I, I
0: feel that that even still happens, but that's so so. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I was born at noon on May seventeenth, a Monday, and I went home with my adopted parents the following day.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. And.
1: So it was, it was a privately arranged adoption, and as I went through the paperwork that had been left after my own parents passed away, I found a certificate of birth by adoption from New York City, hmm. and I found the adoption decree. And the adoption decree had my biological mother's name on it, Aha. so I was I was able to get onto Ancestry. Typed it in, and you know, I think as most people who have been down this path are aware, you know, just the you know screens of information popped up. Right. And the, the first, yeah, the first ones were this the civil documents, the you know the census things like that, and it gave me a very quick glance, and I found that she wasn't a schoolgirl. She she had been twenty three when I was born. Uh huh. Right. That's young. Then I found a visa traveling from the United States to to Rio de Janeiro and it had her picture on it. I was absolutely stunned. Mm -hmm. You know, all of a sudden you have almost 70 years to sit there and look and say, there's my mother. And I, I sent it home. And, you know, when I got back from the library, you know, my wife was home. I said, would you like to see a picture of my mother? And she said, well, I know exactly what your mother looks like. And right. I said, I said, no, not that one, this one. And that sort of started to f- open the floodgates. The, the next day I was back to the library and looking for more. And you know, I, I couldn't find anything. Her, her her maiden name was Genevieve Irene Norowski. Mm-hmm. That year. was a
0: real ha- mouthful.
1: Yes, it was. <laughs> and, you know, I, Googling under that, all I could find were the family records, things like that. And I, I found some interesting coincidences. You know, she. She grew up probably two or three blocks away from where my parents brought me home after I was adopted Oh wow. or after I left the hospital. So there are a lot of close misses mm-hmm. and I continued to look. And then I found a marriage license for her in 1950, 1955, I believe. So this was several years after I was okay. born. And it listed her name as Genevieve Naris Narowski. And it listed her occupation as performer. Ah. So that gave me a little bit more to go on. So I did what everyone does. I immediately flipped over to Google. Right. And typed in Genevieve Naris, performer. And the blog of a woman who who called herself a picker. This is somebody who goes to yard sales and auctions and and buy small items with the thought of reselling them. Uh, her blog appeared, and the blog contained, oh, probably 10 various piece, pictures or pieces of ephemera all related to Genevieve. Wow. And it, turned, it turned out that she was a, a very prominent ice skater in the 1940s and going into the 1950s. So, you know, I, I, was, I was kind of flabbergasted by that. Yeah. You know, all of this, you're, you're looking at, at, at a good part of the story. So, I, you know, I, I then went to Facebook and tried to find the picker because my first thought is I I wonder if she's still got these things. Mm-hmm. And if she's still got them, will she sell them to me? So I, you know, I sent them, I found a name that seemed it was the right name. There were three or four with the same name, but she was in Atlanta. And so it was the the closest Mm -hmm. and, and she, I think she was associated with an antiques mall. So I said, okay, that seems logical. So I sent a message and every, every correspondence I sent from at the time was always started with, hello, you don't know me, but I'm pursuing a family relationship. Right. And I'm just curious, you know, if you're the right person and do you still have the, you know, the materials. And probably within 10 minutes, I got a message back saying, yes, I'm the right person. Yes, I've still got them. Wow. So I'm real excited at that point. So I sent another message back. I said, can we talk? And she said, yeah, I'll call you. And probably for a week, I didn't hear from her. (laughs) Great. You know, and it's. It was, yep. I was going a little bit nuts, but it was still good to know she had this stuff. And so, finally, a week later, I sent her another message saying, "I'm, you know, I don't mean to pester you, but to clarify, I said I believe this woman is my mother. Would you please call me?" Mm-hmm. And the phone rang probably thirty seconds after I sent the message. Wow! And she Lord. said, "Oh my God, I am so sorry." She said, "I can't believe it." And she said, "You need to come here." Hmm. And it was just like that. You know, we're in North Carolina. She was in Atlanta. And within a week, we were on our way to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. With arrangements, they'll come. Yeah, you know, she and her husband, who is also a picker, would come to the hotel, bring these things to see, and yeah, you know, we'll spend some time together. And that—that's exactly what happened in the. You know, we were sitting down in the lobby, and uh, that the woman came in first alone, but carrying a big carton. <laughs> and you know, and it was you know, it was like we we had always known one another. She's just a lovely, lovely person. And probably about five minutes later, her husband, who had been parking the car, came walking in, and he comes walking in with a with a uh, with a sword and a shield, a la teenage mutant ninja turtles
0: mm-hmm.
1: attracting some level of attention in the hotel lobby. And we eventually went up to our to our room because you know it's just a little bit it was more private and we had right. a place to spread the things out. And we started going through the box and it really did take my breath away. Wow. Yeah, because it was one promotional picture after another.
0: It's been like an archaeology uh, discovery, kind of, or it a, was.
1: Oh, it's, yeah. it was brilliant, you know, And then the the one thing that I, I think is really a, a key here is amongst the pictures, there was a her diploma from elementary school or middle school, and then the next mm-hmm. piece was her first professional contract. And at the age of 18 in 1943, she was making $100 a week, which was huge.
0: That's a lot. Right yeah, I didn't think you were going to say that much. And the interesting thing
1: was, you know, and I I, I don't know how it reflects. on I me. Mean, maybe it's just my nature. As I looked at that contract and I said, I understand everything is all right. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I, you know, she was faced with the decision of, You know, do I raise a child as a single mother at a time when being a single mother was not an appropriate or an accepted thing? Right. Or do I pursue this very, you know, lucrative career? Mm -hmm. And I had no problem with the decision she made. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we... Before we had gone down, my wife and I, the entire way down, were kind of debating. Well, how much should we be willing to pay for all of this? Mm-hmm. And you know, we brought two checks in case we got into a kind of worked it, and you know, had to work it in stages. And right. at the end, I I, I take nets and pictures that were in the box, and they were of other skaters, and all of them were personalized to to Genevieve, my mother. Mm-hmm. And I started writing down names because I was thinking, okay, I'll try to track these people down one at a time. And maybe somebody could tell me something about her. Mm -hmm. And as I was doing that, Dan, who was the husband, looked at me, said, what are you doing? And I explained what my process was. He said, you don't need to do that. He said, all of this stuff is yours.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Just been holding it for you.
0: Oh, what nice people
1: it was just, it was, you know, it was one of many, many kindnesses that I encountered along this journey.
0: Huh. And
1: ultimately I did. I went through every one of those pictures and only found one person who who turned out to still be alive. Mm-hmm. You know, because I think the one great disadvantage I left myself at is that as I pursued this was waiting so long most of the people who knew my mother were no longer alive. Right. But I, I traced this woman down via her husband's obituary. I couldn't find her, but I found her son and sent another, hi, you don't know me, but, (laughs) and you know, it's, you don't know me, but our mother skated together in the 1940s and, you know, and probably a week later, he called up, very enthusiastic, and said, he said, I've talked to my mother. She would love to talk to you. Oh. I said, well, that's great. He said, there's only one issue here. He said, mom's in memory care. Uh-huh. <laughs> and you know, he must have heard me kind of gasp, he said. But the good news here is, you know, she doesn't remember what she had for breakfast today. Mm-hmm. But she can tell you everything about 1947. And hey. she and I had a great telephone call and then in September my my search began in March of 19 I'm sorry 2017 Mm -hmm. Uh, in September we went out to visit her in Minneapolis and we spent five hours with her and she was just such a charming lady and so bright and vivacious I felt terrible for her because he had brought her out from the from the facility, we we're going to go out for lunch and we pulled up and I spotted her and I almost ran from the car to hug her. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was as close as I could come to finding my right. mother at that point. And she kind of looked at me like, what's up here? But, right. you know, but then, then she understood. And, you know, but yeah, she told us, yeah, you know, she was my mother's roommate. Oh. You while know, they were with, with ice follies. And she told us all about the things they did. She said, but I, yeah, you know, she, kept on saying, your mother was a star, and your mother was a star, and I can't believe the way she would get tossed around on ice skates. She said, but I can't tell you who she dated, and I can't tell you who your father was. Ah. So it was a wonderful visit. Unfortunately, her name was, uh, was Isabel Smith. She passed away a year and a week ago. And she, what a, she was just such a lovely lady, though. It's so beautiful. You know, even at the age, she passed away at 94, and she was still beautiful.
0: Yeah, what a gift to be able to. Yeah, it was, a, it was yeah. a
1: tremendous gift. But I, I suppose to, to continue the story of how I ultimately traced down my, my birth mother, uh, going back to the Pickers blog, mm-hmm. there was a comment section on it. And there was one individual comment. He was the only one to comment at the time that I knew Mrs. Yeah, I knew Miss Genevieve when, and I was, I went to school with her sons. And I, yeah, I used to, you know, this is in the days of pay phones. I used to go to such and such a place, my bicycle and call them because it was cheaper if I went to the other side of the street than from my side.
0: All right.
1: So I said, okay, well, this is somebody who might be able to at least lead me to where she is. But I didn't know how to get in touch with him. And then somebody else who I was corresponding with, I mentioned it to. And, you know, probably the next day he sent me an email back saying, here's his phone number. And I never quite knew how he found it. He sent me a phone number and an email address. And, again, I sent the email saying, you don't know me, but... And, you know, he sent me kind of a roundabout vague email, which almost seemed like he was protecting identity, which Uh I I think was a responsible thing to do. Sure. I sent him back another email saying, again, kind of blowing by the you don't know me and just Uh saying, okay, Genevieve Narowski was my mother. Can you call me? Uh And he did that. And he was the first person to say that, you know, she was no longer alive. Uh-huh. You know, I started my search in 2017. She passed away in 2014. So mm, I didn't okay. miss by a whole lot, but she was 89 years old at the time. Uh he told me that I had a a half a half brother and I knew that a uh-huh. half sibling. Uh actually I knew that I had had two half siblings. One unfortunately was no longer alive and rather a tragic story of a murder and a suicide. Mm. Miserable, miserable story. And I, uh, it's still kind of haunting mm-hmm. the other one on new year's eve of 2015 was involved in a very serious fire. And had been in, had been in a hospital and then a, a convalescent home for several months at that time. And that's why I been—I had his name and I had a s- series of addresses and I'd been mm-hmm. sending letters, all of which come back as address unknown. Right. And that kind of explained it. So I said, well, you know, if, if I send a letter to you, will you deliver it for me? And he said, yes, I'll do that. And he did, and still I didn't get a response. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I waited some time and tried again, and he said, okay, I will talk to him again, and ultimately, we did make contact, and, you know, we've been in fairly frequent contact since, and, you know, he, he told me pretty much all that had happened. My, you know, my mother came to rather an unhappy end as a result of her other son being involved in murder-suicide. Right. You know, he had cajoled her out of or into deeding her properties, and she had substantial property, mm. into his name. And after he was involved in what he did, the the survivors of his common-law wife came and lodged a, a wrongful death lawsuit and basically took everything that she had. Because it had all been put in his name, so they, you know, they filed it against the estate, sure. and they, sure. they were upheld. And you know, she really wound up, yeah, in the end of her life. You know, she started her life living every, every little girl's dream, mm-hmm. and at the end, you know, died a very, very sad life. Hmm. You know, I, I think from the way my my half brother describes it, she was not resentful not angry but you know but deserving of far more than she had so you know there there are all sorts of little quirks to this story there you know when i was when i found out that she was no longer alive i started to to query the local cemeteries, saying, "Can you tell me if she's buried there?" No, mm-hmm. no, no, you no. Know? And again, you know, one of the cemetery superintendents took it upon themselves to to contact the other local cemeteries and came back. I'm sorry, no, we're not finding her. And when I finally found my half brother after we struck up enough of a, a enough of a relationship, I okay. guess I said, "You know, I'll where?" Yeah. Where is our mother buried? And there's kind of a pause. She said, well, she's not buried. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, where is she? She said, well, she's in my closet. (laughs) And I, you know, that that, there was part of me that wanted to laugh and there was another part that wanted to cry. Sure. Yeah, And then ultimately, ultimately we got, yeah. and she was there with his birth father who had passed away in 1994. The two of them on the shelf side by oh, side. All
0: right. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah, that is like sweet and sad at the same time.
1: I'm not sure what the father's story was, why they did, why they waited. But by the time you know, our mother had passed away, it was a financial issue mm-hmm. and he couldn't afford to inter her. So, um, I'm losing track of time, you know, with the pandemic now. But I guess it was a a year ago, this past August, we went down and finally interred the two of them in a cemetery down there. And I, I, it was kind of a cute story. We they lived in a very uh, they're south of Atlanta, and just a little old you know an old mill town which has Mm -hmm. not done a great deal to revive itself but there's one very sophisticated restaurant down there that my wife and I love and every time we go down there we get in there at least once we've always had the same waiter Mm -hmm. who's you know who's not flamboyant but who is unabashedly gay Mm -hmm. and very cheerful very pleasant so you know we were down having dinner the night before and and I saw him bring out kind of a fancy dessert to one table, and there was a lot of you know a lot of back and and congratulating. And then he brought the same kind of dessert to another table, and he finally came back to ours as we finished you know at our meal, and he said, you know, he said I didn't ask you know are you celebrating any kind of a of an event tonight?" Uh huh. And my wife and I sort of looked at each other, and you know, and I think my wife said well, his mother is coming out of the closet tomorrow. (laughs) And he put his hand on his hip. He said, well, I'm down with that. He went went scurrying away to the kitchen. About five minutes later, everybody's peering out of the kitchen. Oh, my gosh. He came back with one one of the same desserts all engraved, you know, congrats on coming out of the closet.
0: Oh, perfect. (laughs)
1: I explained it to him, and he thought he thought it was hilarious, right. but it's really cute. Was, right. You know, it, it was a, a somber event, but you know, very uplifting.
0: Right, a moment of connection about
1: yeah, it was, not we, you know, the pandemic has kept us from getting down there to visit again, but right. we will, and, and that'll be a stop for us. Very neat. That will certainly be a stop. Yeah, you know, and. and I mentioned that you know I had never given any thought to who my birth father was. Mm-hmm. And prior to to the search for my mother, you know i I did an ancestry sample right around Christmas time, where I bought them for myself and my wife at Christmas. And so before I even got the inclination to search ancestry, I sent the DNA sample in looking solely for you know what's my what's my heredity Mm -hmm. i'd always identified on my father's side as sicilian and my mother's side as ukrainian and yeah never a hundred percent sure that that was accurate Mm -hmm. i sort of felt the european piece the the eastern european piece never quite felt the you know the italian side Mm. we came from a you know kind of a a a, a loud, raucous, you know, closely-knit Italian family, more of my father's family. And, you know, it's, I've always had a feeling of otherness. Uh-huh. They, they were embracing and they were loving, but I never really felt like, okay, I'm part of this. Mm-hmm. you know and that was that was me not them mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. so i you know, so i sent the sample in and you know, it took forever because of the christmas holidays i suppose and it wasn't until until may of 2017 and now by then i was deep into the you know into this search and i started to get curious about well i wonder where my mother was when she got pregnant mm. oh wow and yeah. Yeah, via you know, via Google, I found out that she had joined the Ice Follies, and then on eBay, I found a schedule for, for the Follies from that season. I purchased that and found out that they were, they were in San Francisco for the entire summer of 1947. And I assumed that I was, or I kind of backtracked and decided I had been right August of 1947. So you know, so I sent my sample in, and I finally got back the the information or the report, and I, I immediately went to the to the pie chart, which is what I think most people do. Right, right. And found out I was like fifty percent Eastern European, and that felt right. And then there was mm-hmm. another twenty five percent at the time, which was Ashkenazi Jew, and that that kind of made me chuckle, but that felt mm-hmm. good. And then, you know, then a mixture of a little, you know, mostly Northern European and Great Britain. And yeah. then I went to the list of, 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 of relationships, yeah, you know, and they're the thousand third to fifth cousins. Right. But there was a, at the top of the list, there was a high probability, very close relationship with a first cousin. And I studied that pretty carefully. and you know the name was not familiar. When I searched farther, he had a very, very complete family tree. Oh. He turned out He turned out to be an LDS member. Okay, So okay. he had done great research, right. And I said, this is you know this has got to be my father's family. And I assumed, okay, if he's my first cousin, he needs to have an uncle someplace who was my father, mm-hmm. and his mother had, or his father had, no siblings. His mother had seven siblings. There were six sisters and a brother.
0: Oh,
1: <laughs> I said, okay, bingo, got him. Yeah, wow. You know, and I, I sort of looked him up and found out he had been born in Wisconsin, I think, and then moved to Austin, Texas, and. I got to the University of Texas and was a lawyer. So I wrote to this cousin. I sent him a message via Ancestry, and yeah, I'd heard the horror stories about when he send messages and no one answers. Sure. He answered in fifteen minutes.
0: Oh wow! You keep having such good luck.
1: I did. This thing has all been this has been serendipity and coincidences all the way through.
0: Nice people. I keep getting adrenaline, sort of like a little shot of adrenaline every time you say someone wrote back. (laughs) So I can only imagine what it was like to be in your position.
1: Yeah, and he, he wrote back and he was all excited to have, you know, to to find her a close relative and and he said, Okay, I'm looking at what you're saying about my uncle and he said, That makes perfect sense. And he told me a little bit more about the history, and we agreed we'll, you know, we'll we'll be in touch. And about you know, as I was discussing this with my wife, about 15 minutes later, another message drops in from him, <laughs> and he said I was just looking at your pie chart, and you know, I was looking at that part that's, you know, that's 25% Jewish. He said, There are only a couple of concerns I have. Do you know where your mother was when you we were conceived? I said, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. He said, As far as I know, my uncle never left Texas. Oh. And I can tell you unequivocally, he had no Jewish blood. Hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, this is kind of disappointing now. And the plot thickened. You know, so, yeah, it did thicken. And 15 minutes later, there's another message. She said, But. I have twenty-five percent Jewish blood. And oh. as it turns out, this person who ancestry identified as my cousin was actually my half-brother.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> I did not I just got goosebumps. I did not see that coming.
1: I didn't see it coming either. I don't think oh. he did either. Wow! and, and you know, and it's, it's a real bright man, very embracing. Yeah, he was as opposed to my maternal half-brother who was very guarded hmm you know my paternal half-brother was his arms were open from the start oh. t- tell me what you want tell me what you need I'll get you the information or I'll tell you what I know and yeah you know, and interestingly what his read was in those first couple of days is you know I don't know who your adopted parents were but you probably did better with them. Than you would have with my father.
0: Ah, yeah.
1: And it turned out he well. was kind of a yeah. You know, he he ultimately had had five wives. Oh. And just he got around. He's a charm. And you know, he was he was my half brother's father for ten years, and one day just said, "I'm out of here" and left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, Again, I'm, I'm losing track of our time. Probably, course, yeah. probably February of 2019, we were out and set We visited the West Coast to see friends in LA, but we we swung through San Francisco first to meet my half brother. And we spent time with him, and he said, "If you would like to, my mother would like to meet you." Oh. And she was she was my father's wife after i was conceived Uh uh-huh uh-huh you know so they married a year later i think and then my brother was married a year after that so so we went out she's she's currently alive and she's 99 years old oh wow we came in we came in to visit with her and she you know she was very sweet my son was with us my wife was with us and she, you know, she went through the niceties with my son, She went through the niceties with my wife, then looked at her son and said, take them and show them the house. And she pointed to me, she said, you stay.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as soon as they were out, she said, I think you, you know, you deserve to hear about your father. Wow. Which I thought was, a, it was a wonder, it was a generous gift.
0: Yeah. It feels like you were just, I mean, I can, I'm now starting to get a, a big A deeper understanding of the title of your book—that it's like you just got in your exploration, sort of stumbled upon gift after gift.
1: It really was gift after gift, and that wasn't really the inspiration for the book. But Uh you know, someplace deep inside, when you know, when Genevieve is in the process of of making a decision, you know, somebody has a discussion with her and and talks about gifts, and you know, some you receive, some you give. But, yeah, it was a series of gifts from very generous people. Mm -hmm. You know, and his mom basically, you know, did not have a lot of great things to say about him either, but Mm -hmm. to a certain level forgave him and, you know, kind of pinned it on his mother instead. Right. But, you know, she said it. yeah, and I just, again, I, you know, more than what she told me, it was the fact that she told me that was so, mm-hmm. I think, so poignant and I was so grateful for. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, you know, so that's, that's how I put together my it's family tree, right. you know. She,
0: so with, with, all of that on this, this adventure, this is how you, you put together this story, which is sort of about your, about your adventure, but also about your mother, Um. And it struck me as being so. Um, it's it's very be- like sort of beautifully detailed in the in the the parts I, I read up till let's see. I guess I read up until the train station mm-hmm. um, when she's being she's going to go away to her first ice skating. Right. Not that's right. as far as I've I've gotten so far. Um, so uh, so um, so my question is how much of that is like creative like creative license and you imagining the things that were going on in the family and how much of that was details that you gleaned from your research?
1: Well, I think there are two things at place here. The chronology and the people, I think have a great deal of integrity. They're, they're right on, right on the mark. Mm-hmm. And I did an awful lot of research. Where mm-hmm. was she, when, who was she with, and, yeah, you know, what came in between was kind of connect the dots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't have any way of knowing what did she say or what did somebody say to her. But it was a, an exercise in, okay, if, if this is where she wound up, what must have preceded it. Sure, yeah. So, you know, as, as far as dialogue and things like that, I, you know, I took creative license with it. Because yeah, because I had to, otherwise it would right. have been Genevieve was here, Genevieve what? was
0: there. Right. Well and, to me it sort of strikes me like you're you're um you're developing a relationship with her by doing that. You know, I
1: I came away feeling that I knew her. Yeah. And I think it's it's twofold. You know, not, number one is Is I have met some people who did know her as an adult. Mm -hmm. I've met, obviously, my half brother was the most, was the closest Mm -hmm. to her. I've met and been with two of my maternal cousins now who. Who, if they don't remember her, remember all the stories that surrounded her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And she was just, yeah, she was revered on two levels. Number one, she was a star, so that impresses all kids. Right. But number two is everybody just held her on a pedestal as a wonderful person. You know, as a talented and kind person. And and that held through through the adults who I encountered along the way. Mm Mm-hmm. And so you know that that certainly shaped the way I approach dialogue.
0: Yeah. Well, it's. But it,
1: You're right, though. It did. It gave me a relationship with her that I might not otherwise might not otherwise have had.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it's like an, it's an amazing exercise in um, sort of an exercise and like a testimony to our our sort of this this human need and the growth, I mean, it's a growing trend right now, but but also just this human need for connection to where we came from.
1: I, I agree with that. Uh, you know, had I, had we never made any connection or had I never gotten the inclination to go looking, you know, I probably, I would have been okay with that, but I feel like I'm richer for having done it. yeah. A little, you know, and I, I think you, you know, you had Becky Proud fit a few episodes Mm -hmm, back mm -hmm. and I love the way she said, all I did was I found more people to love. Yeah. And yeah, I think some people, you know, unfortunately, and I I can't speak for anyone else's experiences, but you know, they're, yeah, they're disappointed or they're angry. Mm -hmm. Mm, Yeah. My disappointment is I, I didn't get to ultimately meet her and maybe, maybe that was for the best maybe I would have come away with a whole other impression but i don't think so right i think where i where i was with my you know at the end of my research and i, I shouldn't even say the end because i'm still researching right
0: i'm sure i know
1: and or at the end of the book and you know i I think we would have been pretty much the same place mm-hmm. you know i would love to have met her just mm-hmm. to say hey you know what i'm okay mm-hmm. because i think you know we we tend to look at our own situations and and probably don't give a great deal of regard sometimes to the people who who gave us up. Right. Or, you know, in the DNA situation, in the, you know, the NPE situations, the people who, you know, suddenly are revealed not to be who we thought they were. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's a, I would like, I would like to have had the chance I didn't have it. Right. You know, so this was right. kind of my, my ability to, to recreate that opportunity.
0: Yeah. Well, it's just beautifully done. Um, and, and, and and I have to be honest, you're the first, this story, and I don't, I don't exactly know why, but this story is the first time that I have, as you were describing it, I felt along for the ride and, um, excited at each discovery that you made. I mean, just now during this phone call and I, I suddenly, just this morning, have like a new understanding of why the ancestry search is fun. (laughs) Like, and I, I don't, I don't mean that I thought it wasn't fun. I believed it was, but I suddenly have this new appreciation for the investigative adventure.
1: Yeah, I think it's a matter of the mindset that you approach it with. If again, it's you know, if you're looking if you're open to what you might discover, mm-hmm. you know, it's a fun thing. If you fear what you might discover, it's probably a whole different experience. And mm-hmm. I can't speak for anyone else. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I wrote down here so I wouldn't forget to say it as I, I think, you know, my adoptive parents somehow, and I don't know how they did it. I, you know, or I tell every parent how to do it as, you know, as they imparted me with a sense of self Yeah. You know, so I was not who they were. Mm -hmm. I was not who my biological parents were. I'm me. Right. And I just, yeah, and I've always been kind of a pragmatic person. And, you know, so I, if, if I had found something I wasn't happy with, I would have, you know, I probably would have been disappointed, but it wouldn't have changed my life. Mm-hmm. But I understand mm-hmm. some folks that are, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, again, circumstances differ.
0: Right. Right. They sure do. Wow. Wow. Well, if people want to read your book, which I cannot recommend uh, hi, more hi, <laughs> highly enough, but I'm really loving it. Um, how, what's the best way for them to to get a copy of that? Should they, do you have a preference of distributor?
1: well you know it's it's can be requested through any any made any bookseller it's available at all their online retailers and i do have a website it's digangiauthor.com it's d i g a n g i author all one word dot mm-hmm. com and the book can be purchased there and i'll I'll be happy to sign and inscribe it if that's what they like, and
0: oh, cool! Pack okay. it
1: nicely, pack it nicely, and send it on off very quickly.
0: All right, I know what I'm. And
1: I, then I appreciate you letting me say that. I appreciate the plug.
0: Of course, the, the
1: book it's it's, and it, yeah, it's two intersecting stories. One is my search, and one is you know is the story of my mother, and and at the end the two of them mm-hmm. come together, and I think it's a on in both in both cases it's kind of a joyous riot.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, this has been lovely. Thank you so much for giving me your time, Mr. Daganji. Oh,
1: I've I've enjoyed it, and that's it. You know?
0: Um. um, <laughs> really um but, no,
1: I, you know, I that's so I've so enjoyed your podcast. You know, because uh-huh. I think you you approach a serious subject with a, I think with a sense of heart and a sense of humor that you know, that you don't often always find elsewhere yes i've I've really been enamored of the podcast with your guests
0: oh thank you so much i'm really i'm hoping to i'm hoping to i hope that my my approach makes it makes it you know uh not more conversation more conversational easy to approach for people but for for people that need that that's what i'm trying to to give them
1: yeah and I, i think you're doing a great job
0: Thank you so much. Um, I will be in touch with you and let you know, of course, um, the hows and whens of, of this episode, it will not be very long before it's up. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll be in touch. Thank you for your time. Um, I look forward to, to maybe more updates about your, your adventure and I hope that you have a wonderful weekend out, out, out there. And are you in North Carolina?
1: Yeah, well, we're in North Carolina, central part of the state. We're kind of a kind of a cloudy day today. We've had some chilly weather and clouds, and it's warmed up a little bit, but it's still cloudy today.
0: Okay, all right. And well, you're in Los
1: Angeles, is that I'm right? In Los
0: Angeles, but I have a, I'm in Los Angeles. My my 17 year old daughter um, lives in West Virginia, though.
1: Oh, okay. And,
0: and then my my best friend from LA moved to Tarboro, North Carolina.
1: Uh-huh. And yep. so
0: she lives there, and now my daughter is looking at the, at the North Carolina schools for college. Um,
1: There's some great universities yeah, there. Yeah, really are. So, uh, yeah, some superb schools.
0: Yeah, so North Carolina is kind of, kind of on my radar, in my heart, in different ways. So I hope to get there soon.
1: If you bring her for a visit, let us know. All
0: right, I will. I will. All right, I will be hey. in touch. And, okay, uh,
1: thank you so much.
0: It's only been a few weeks, but I'm already reminiscing about my morning (laughs) with Ed. Uh, I hope we can get together in person one day soon before too long. Uh, I'm actually recording this episode earlier than usual, although I've mentioned like 10 times in this episode that I got up early. I don't mean early in the day. I mean early in the schedule, on the calendar, in the month, um, because I'm actually headed out of town tomorrow tomorrow. Again, early in the morning, uh, there's clearly a theme on my mind. Um, so I'm flying out tomorrow from LA to the East coast, I'm flying to New Jersey to meet with a group of other NPEs. We're going to spend, uh, three days together and, um, it's going to be, it's, I, I don't know what it's going to be, but, um, there is a group called Heareth, I think I'm pronouncing that right, <laughs> Hope and Healing, Here Heareth. He- <laughs> Um, hope and healing. They are a new group. Um, they're they're sort of a new group that's been formed in as in as recent as this whole phenomenon has sort of exploded. So they are in New Jersey um and they are trying to host retreats and conferences and um get-togethers for people that have had DNA discoveries or NPE experiences in one way or another. Uh, so they have planned this event that was supposed to be in April and of course it got cancelled because of COVID and now we're redoing it um, or doing it postponing it. The rain check is for this weekend. And of course we will be wearing masks we have all gotten tested we will be washing our hands we're standing far apart from one another. But the point is that um we're going to be sharing our stories and learning from some professionals in the mental health field about the larger phenomenon and also about how to attend to ourselves as individuals. Uh, and I think it's just like exciting to spend time together. We, a lot of us know each other and are in communication in various ways online, but to be in the same room and in the same place and share stories with one another in real time is, um, it's something a little bit different. I think I'm really missing it and we want to have this element. So I'm looking forward to it, and I'm also very nervous, um, despite what you may think. I actually um, do have like my own brand of shyness and social anxiety that courses through me. So we'll see how it goes. Um, I heard there might be wine, which could be good or disastrous, Um, but by the time you hear this episode, it will all have already happened. So I will be back very soon to talk about how it was. In the meantime... I hope that you buy Edward DeGange's book, The Gift Best Given. I hope you are supporting us on Patreon. I hope you're following me on Instagram. I hope you are registered to vote. This is Everything's Relative, and I'm Eve Sturgis. Everything's Relative with Eve Sturgis is produced by Kaylin Egan and Eve Sturgis. Eve is a licensed therapist in the state of California, but conversations on this podcast are not therapy sessions. This podcast is edited by Stephanie Dilon-Zick. The logo design is by Ivy McNally, and the music is used with permission by Goodbye the Band. Hi, I'm Michelle Veray. And I'm Kimberly Trung, and we are the host of Crush Fictionally, a podcast all about your favorite fictional characters from movies, TV shows, and more. Each episode, we pick a theme, curate a list of characters that we love, why we love them, and some fun facts about the people who created them. So if you've ever felt a true connection with a fictional character, tune in to Crush Fictionally on Campfire Media. Or wherever you find your podcast. Campfire.